Confronting inequity in healthcare is a challenge for every organization, and it's the focus of this episode of WIHI. If you're looking to connect with colleagues working on the same equity issues and priorities as your organization, we're proud to invite you to the equity track at this year's IHI National Forum. The forum is a four-day conference showcasing the application of improvement science to some of the toughest challenges in delivering high-quality, safe, and equitable care. The Equity Track offers sessions on improving access, quality, and health outcomes with communities that have been historically and systemically marginalized. These sessions will help you and your colleagues understand and address institutional racism in healthcare and provide you with the tools to close the gaps in health equity at your organization. The forum will be held this December in Orlando, Florida. For more information on the Equity Track, related sessions, keynotes, and how to enroll with our early bird special, visit ihi.org forum. This year, we'll be celebrating 30 years of the National Forum, and we hope you'll celebrate with us. Now here's WIHI. If you're the largest health system and employer in Eastern North Carolina, your mission and your mission includes health equity and your outlook and care. Appreciate the fact that your patients are your population, are your community, are your employees. What could possibly be missing from your strategy? Well, Vident Health decided there was something, a real opportunity, in fact, as we're going to learn about on this edition of WIHI. And I want to welcome you to WIHI or an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We're live uh, as we are right now and then after the show via IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. So Viden Health has gone where a lot of health systems haven't dared to go, not quite, not just yet, when it comes to using multiple levers to impact health equity. The health system is raising the pay and the prospects of its workforce. And to do this well, well, it helps to have community partners and other health systems committed to health equity to work with and to learn from. All right, two introductions now. Julie Ehlert serves as the Chief Experience Officer for Vident Health. She's strategically responsible for patient experience, team member experience, physician experience, and burnout, equity, and inclusion for patients and team members, and workforce safety, workplace safety, I should say, as well as areas that contribute to positive culture. A big welcome to you, Julie. Good afternoon, everybody. Hello. Thanks for joining. Okay, great. Jermaine McNair is a community organizer in the Greenville, North Carolina area. He serves as an outreach specialist with Pitt Community College and is the founding director of the nonprofit NC Civil, which works for grassroots development in underserved communities. With felony convictions and incarceration in his background, Jay draws on his personal experience for learning and to improve the community. Glad to have you. Welcome, Jay. Thanks so much for having me. Totally glad to be here. Wonderful. Jafet Ariata, across the table from me here in the studio, is a director and improvement advisor at IHI, and she supports several quality improvement collaboratives across Latin America and the U.S. Welcome, Jafet. All righty. And uh, Megan Hassinger-Welch works closely with internal IHI teams and IHI faculty to design and deliver programs aimed at improving health and healthcare outcomes. She manages the Pursuing Equity Initiative, and we're going to turn to Megan to <coughs> kick things off. A big welcome to you, Megan. 
Thanks, Madge. All right. And to my left here, I want to acknowledge that Amber Watson is here with us uh, in the studio. Huge help, a huge part of the Pursuing Equity Initiative. She's a project manager, and she's going to help us out during Q&A and the discussion. So welcome to you as well, Amber. All right, Megan, let's start with you. Before we set the scene in eastern North Carolina, um, we thought it would be important for our listeners to get a sense of the Pursuing Equity Initiative overall, which does indeed include Vident Health. So tell us what's been going on. Thanks, Megan. Great. Thanks, Madge. Uh, It's a pleasure to be with you here today in the studio. Um, And I'm looking forward to seeing everyone's questions and comments in the chat throughout the call. So as Madge said, my name is Megan Welch, and I'm a senior project manager at IHI supporting this initiative. Um, IHI launched the Pursuing Equity Initiative in April of 2017 with these eight healthcare organizations. Um, And we did this because we believe healthcare has an important role to play in advancing health equity. So we do have a diverse group of organizations from all over the U.S. participating. As you'll see, we have both rural and urban organizations represented, as well as large health systems and small federally qualified health centers. Uh, We did just launch year two, which is our final year of the initiative on April 1st, and um, we're looking forward to packaging and disseminating our learning over this next year. So before I turn over to the Vident team, um, I'd like to briefly review our five-pillar theory of how healthcare organizations can advance health equity at their organizations. And when we say health equity, we mean that everyone has a fair opportunity to attain their full health potential. Uh, The key term here is fair opportunity, which means examining what the distribution of resources and opportunities are across communities. So this five-pillar theory is described in our white paper, which can be found on IHI.org, and we can also put um, a link in the chat. Um, I do want to point out that there's not a sequence to this framework. So you don't have to start with pillar one and work your way through. We have numbered uh, the pillars for simplicity, but many organizations begin their work with the pillar where they have the most will, energy, and resources. Um, So the first pillar is that health equity needs to be a strategic priority at your organization. So for example, is health equity in your strategic plan? Is it on the agenda for your board meetings? Um, Leadership needs to be messaging that advancing equity is critical to the mission and vision of the organization. And then, if health equity is a priority, do you have the dedicated resources and infrastructure in place? So this means the human resources, the financial resources, and um, the data available to support equity as a priority. So do you have a reliable system set up for data collection so you can analyze and understand equity gaps? And is is advancing health equity part of your employees' roles and responsibilities, or is this just something for them to work on in their free time or volunteer for on the side? So the third part of our theory is about the specific strategies healthcare can use to advance equity. Uh, We will be hearing shortly from Vidant Health about how they leverage their position as the largest employer in the community to improve health equity. And I do want to point out that healthcare is often the largest employer in many communities. And Vidant has learned a lot about addressing the multiple determinants of health of their employees to create a more joyful and healthy workforce. So um, stay tuned for more about that. And then the fourth part of our theory is eliminating institutional racism in healthcare. You'll see on on this slide that it says decrease. We've realized over this first year of the initiative that this shouldn't say decrease, it should say eliminate. 
So this is a change that we've made to um, this pillar. And this pillar is really about looking at the systems, the practices, the policies that healthcare has put into place that perpetuate racial inequities, and then addressing and dismantling these policies. Uh, the fifth pillar is about community partnerships and understanding where there is already work going on in your community that you can lend your voice to. So we'll hear from Biden and NC Civil about their partnership and the shared aims that they've established um, and also what they've been able to achieve thus far. So again, this is our initial theory for how healthcare organizations can advance health equity. And I will turn it back over to Madge to introduce the Biden team, but I will continue to monitor the chat and I look forward to your questions. Thanks so much, Megan. Really important for us to see this foundational work and now uh, a year and some uh, into it, um, we're just thrilled here um, to be able to offer uh, some of what's going on. So let me now turn next to Julie Ehlert. So Julie, uh, from what I understand, there is some sort of a leap that's involved for a health system to decide it's first going to raise wages for employees as part of a strategy to improve health equity. And I dare say that if you were hanging out with a lot of your, um, you know, healthcare colleagues, I hope this isn't too far out of me to say this, and they said, oh, well, what are you working on with respect to health equity? I'm not sure they'd expect the first thing for you to say, well, we decided to raise all our starting wages. So what goes into making this leap and starting with the workforce? And uh, thanks for helping to set the scene. Glad you're here. Yes, thank you. And um, everyone does this work in a way that's right for their communities. And we really very quickly realized that we couldn't achieve health equity for our patients without workforce equity. And there's a couple pieces of that. The first piece is that um, most of our workforce, because we're a rural um, health, a largely rural healthcare system, most of our workforce is also um, our patients and our families and our community. Um, and we couldn't achieve workforce equity um, without addressing the social determinants of our workforce. And so as we walk that back and said, if we can't achieve health equity without workforce equity, and our, we have to look at our workforce and their social determinants, it made sense that we became the person, um, the, the person, the organization who addressed uh, directly how our people what kind of, uh, um, you know, how much they made and how their, how we could contribute to the, their, their work life, how we could contribute to, um, their living wage and then what they did with that for their families. So how had did this kind of roll out and, uh, set the scene for us maybe just a little bit, uh, talk about the, uh, population that you're serving and what you observed that also led you to this workforce focus. Well, when we started, you know, kind of down this path, knowing that we weren't going to get to health equity without workforce equity, and the other piece of that, too, is we really believed that our our workforce had to exactly um, mirror our community, that our workforce had to look like our community. And when we started talking about it, um, we realized that if we had a better starting wage that we could retain our workforce because even 25 cents or 50 cents would take a, a, 
a frontline or a, an entry-level job person away to another organization that maybe didn't have the resources to help them go back to school or the resources to educate them in leadership. So we said to ourselves, how do we retain our our workforce so that we can develop them and so that they can contribute to our, the richness of a diverse culture, which we valued. And so that led us to looking at um, raising our minimum wage as well as um, adjusting the wages of all of our entry-level workers. And when you are going to do that, you, of course, have to go talk to your board. And so when we brought this to our board, we really had done a good job of seeing um, all of the things that we could achieve through this action. We could be seen as a partner in our communities. They would trust us and know that we were doing um, the right work for them. And then we could retain and grow a workforce that was rich in diversity. And what you see right here um, on the screen is we also knew that we had to make sure that equity and inclusion in this work was part of our strategic priority. And so we brought that to the board as well and said, you know, the the consequences of this work are so incredibly positive and um, profoundly uh, beneficial to our, us and our communities. And so you can see there that um, our one of our value imperatives is experience, and I'm the chief experience officer, and equity inclusion lives there. And then we asked the board, in order to do this, we have to be equitable as a starting wage. We actually have to lead the state in a starting wage. And that was approved, and and we we put it into play. And, and we're very proud that that was our first step because the community could see that we meant we meant what we said when we when we said we wanted to be partners in their health. Okay. So thank you. And now I'm looking at one of the slides here. It says team members and this begins to show uh, this is a depiction I believe of who started, you know, who benefited uh, or who has yeah. been benefiting from this raise of a starting, uh, um, the starting wage. So can you just kind of talk us yeah. through this slide a little bit? Yeah, this, I, I, when I look at this slide, I feel really proud um, because when we looked at who we would impact if we um, increased our starting wage and adjusted the compensation for our existing team members, this is what we saw. And that if we did that, that we would impact um, uh, that 61, almost 62% of the people who would be impacted were um, our African-American team members, and a lot of those were our uh, women in that starting wage. And we just we just knew that that would impact, that would be everything. I mean, it's the great step to say we want to partner with you, but also we want you to have a living wage that you that you can contribute to your families, you can, um, that you, you are valued, and that we want to be an equitable employer. And so that's, that's the, this is the table that shows the impact that we had um, based on race. Can you tell me uh, what was, is it all right to ask, what was the wage before it was 12 an hour uh, for the starting? You know, I don't know that I okay. remember that, okay. but it was below. It was below the state average. Okay, that's fine. Um, okay, it's, in some ways, we should just yeah. focus on twelve an hour. That's great. So, um, <laughs> right. And let me let me go back. I want to go back, to, uh, John, to this slide, uh, which because this 
you know, this is part of also what it means to really, uh, as somebody used to work here, say, swing the bat all the way through. What does it mean to look at your entire workforce? So uh, here you're really showing uh, kind of population, what's going on at Vident Health, and then you're looking at management as well. Uh, how, yeah. how did you decide? I can imagine people said, all right, we raised the wages. We starting wage. That's, we'll look into other things at another time. But now we're looking at management. Uh, how is all that working out now? Um, this was, this is a great look and I'm sure other organizations do this as well. And what we saw is that our Vident Health team members, um, reflect our population within reason. And that made us feel positive because we realize, again, we can't have health equity unless we have people that can contribute to the lived experience in our workforce of our patients and our families. And then we looked at our um, management level and realized that um, the representation wasn't as um, strong in our management and workforce. So we, we began to think about creating a stronger pipeline for development for our team members. And that is actually a, a big focus of our work right now, and that's work that we do with NC Civil, and that's work we do, um, which you'll get to hear with, um, with Jermaine McNair, and work with, we do with some of our Hispanic partners, and, and it's just, it's, and it's been a labor of, um, togetherness and, and joy, really. Because once you see this, uh, there's nothing to do but, but to work toward it. And so we, um, we've, we've put in some, um, some improvements in our pipeline. We look at our requirements for our jobs, look at how we, um, who gets our, um, our tuition reimbursement and, and how has that been applied for and what are we doing to balance that out. And it just opened the door. This data opened the door for us to, to do a lot of things that I don't know that we would have been as busy at if we hadn't seen the difference between the Biden Health team members and then leadership. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Julie. That's a great segue to Jermaine, Jay, and NC Civil. Um, and tell us kind of a little bit about NC Civil, Jay, and how you managed to get involved in this uh, effort to really open up the pipeline, as Julie is saying, and really improve uh, the prospects for people getting them in the door at Vident if they're interested in jobs there and uh, being able to really qualify. Thanks, Jay. Whoops, I hope we didn't lose Jay. Um, oh, there you are. Can you still hear me? Now Come we can hear you. You're, you're, we hear you loud and clear. Go ahead. Yeah. All right, wonderful. Thanks. Um, so how how we kind of got here? Well, obviously, NC Civil, um, we were already in the community focused on that grassroots level organizing, maintaining and developing the fabric of community because one of the things that I always say as director is that resources and support services to a marginalized community they all flow a lot better when that community's fabric is stronger. So when the relationships are there, the conversations are being had, the communication is strong, the activities are taking place in that community every day, what that does is that gives you a constant platform of community-centered activity and engagement 
that allows community resource providers and different institutional support service providers to be able to plug into something where they're not starting from scratch. So NC Civil, we, we are a grassroots organizing body centered directly within the West Greenville community, which is the, I guess, our, our marginalized African-American community in the Greenville, North Carolina area. Um, that I'm, I, the work that we do, I focus on partnerships, and the reason why is because I found very early on that the population that that I had our organization targeting to try to serve, I realized that you can't adequately serve that population unless you learn to also serve with and alongside the the institutional providers that support the structure of the of the city. So it's kind of a two-way street to where, you know, as I develop this organization, we are definitely focusing on our community members, but we're also learning every day how to be of service to the major agencies who, take, who, who have such a, a large presence in our community. So partnerships was something that I was always advocating for. Um, I'm not only doing the work in our communities alongside our board members and, and subcommittees, but I'm also at a lot of speaking engagements, working with a lot of community partners, trying to also strengthen that fabric. So I think uh, a year ago or so, I was giving a speech at the at a Martin Luther King celebration, and and I used that speech as a call to action to all the agencies and small and and people who were a resource in our community to come get involved in our community and use NC Civil at their disposal, use us as an open-door policy to come into our community through our programs and our initiatives. And I think Julie Ehlert was in the audience that day, heard that call to action, and she responded immediately, and we began building on our relationship, which has just blossomed into some great work. So tell me, uh, it's a great story, wonderful connection there. Um, on a planning call for today's program, Julie started to say a little bit about the things that you noticed in job descriptions, job qualifications. What would have been, what were you seeing uh, at Vident that may have uh, really presented barriers to people who would have liked to have gotten in the door there? What, what kinds of things did you notice? Absolutely. And and mind you, this, this is not necessarily just unique to Vidan. This is with any of our major employers in the area. But some of the things that we found that was just, it took us looking, you know, just taking an honest look, is that one thing that Julie mentioned is that Vidan has wonderful educational support services that could take any employee that was there within Vidant structure and help them to develop themselves as professionals, develop themselves all the way from entry-level positions all the way into a career path. And they had that support there, but there were some barriers to people getting in. One of those quick barriers was that, yes, we can support people to be able to further their education on one end, but on the other hand, we screened applicants out based on whether or not they had their high school diploma or GED. Now, some may look at that and say, well, yeah, that makes sense. But on the other hand, we looked at something that, that let us know that, well, there are about 10 or maybe 12 positions at Vident that, according to the skill set, you didn't technically need a GED or a high school diploma for. And um, I can't list all 12 of what those were, but very entry-level positions. And so on one end, if you don't need a GED to do the job 
and we can help you get your GED and get your high school diploma and further your education, why then are we screening you out based on that? We're missing a huge opportunity there. You know, and then when it comes to other barriers, um, different criminal background checks and things, there were just so many spaces to where people were being screened out and missing out on the wonderful opportunities that were present at Vidant. Um, and, and wage is a huge deal because one of the things that was mentioned in, in my background was that I serve as a college outreach specialist. So education is a part of the work that I do. I find that anytime you seek to enroll just one person into, you know, collegiate studies, they, they could be working at an entry-level job, let's say at a fast food restaurant. And, the, and just a quick overview of how things that I experience on a day-to-day basis, a person enrolls and they go to class, but then all of a sudden their employer says, we're short on staff and we will give you overtime for the next three or four weeks. You can work 50, 60, 70 hours. To that young individual, that looks like a lot of money. So what they would do is oftentimes they would step away from school, go and take that overtime and continue working because they see that short-end benefit, maybe work for a month, two months, three months, and then after a while when the employee starts to scale back, that young individual is they're not earning that income anymore, but they've stepped away from their classes. And that up-down kind of seesaw effect was hurting a lot of individuals that come out of our communities. So my question was, what can we do to get as many of our young people and adults as we can into a stable situation of employment? If we could stabilize them in their employment and in their finances to some degree, we would stand a lot better chance of stabilizing them in some other areas of their lives. So employment was a huge opportunity for us. Okay. All right. Well, that really helps. I mean, it makes a lot of very logical connections. uh, And yet, you know, there are policy changes. So we'll try and flesh this out uh, just a little bit more. But thank you, Jay, uh, for uh, sharing all that with us. And uh, before we go to the chat and Q&A and your questions, and Sheila, we see your questions, I just want to remind everyone, if you, when you look at the uh, your screen, uh, ask your questions under the chat and not Q&A, and please direct it to all participants so we don't miss anything. So, Jafet, in the initiative, um, this must be very powerful stuff, I think, for all the teams, uh, the kinds of things Julie and Jay are telling us about. So how does, give us some context here, and how does this work kind of really writ large in some ways uh, reflect the aims of the initiative? Go ahead. Thanks, much. Uh, I'm pleased to be with you today speaking about the role of healthcare in achieving equity, and I think that's that's a great question. Uh, but before before I do that, let me let me tell you a little bit more about my role in the initiative. Um, so I'm I'm a director with IHI, and I've had the privilege of supporting the Pursuing Equity Initiative as both an improvement advisor and a coach over the past year. And as you said, it's it's been indeed a very very uh, powerful work that I think has started to get a lot of traction and to create a, a momentum. And I think that to your question, Vidan's uh, health pursuing equity work really underscores the key role of healthcare organizations in achieving health equity, which is the key aim of the initiative. 
As, um, as the largest health uh, system and employer in North Carolina, Vitan Health is uniquely positioned to help advance equity in the region and the state. And their workforce equity project actually touches on the five pillars that Megan talked about, which make our theory of change. Uh, their work in particular highlights for other organizations the importance of making of equity a strategic priority and of getting leadership buy-in early on. J just to mention some of the efforts that Vitan has has been engaging on, uh, they have not only gotten their board on board, but they also have had uh, two corporate chiefs act as sponsors for the for their workforce equity project, which is key. And that's something that we've learned in the past year that in order for this work to move forward, it is key to have the involvement of senior leaders so that they can remove barriers and also start the conversation at all levels in the organization. Along with that, as part of the second pillar, which is around developing infrastructure to support health equity work, Biden has been key in, uh, in supporting human resources and, and their development. So they've been focusing on strengthening the workforce to create health and financial stability for the organization. And as you could see in, in some of the slides that Julie uh, showed, they've also been using uh, data infrastructure, putting data infrastructure in place to better identify equity gaps, not only between different races and ethnicities, but also between uh, different genders within the organization. And this is, a, this is another part of the work that has been key because having strong data infrastructure systems has allowed different organizations to, to better identify where, where those equity gaps are and how to better close them. Um, so the other thing that, that, has been, that has been really interesting about Vitan's work that other organizations could benefit from is that they have seen this project as a strategic investment and have managed to secure funding for their equity work, which is key to make sure that organizations not only achieve equity, but that they also make this work sustainable oh. in the long run. Um, and one one other thing that I wanted to highlight is is the role uh, of, of Vidant in uh, eliminating institutional racism within the organization. Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Julie uh, mentioned, said something that resonated with me. She said, People in our community haven't had the opportunity because of institutional racism. We could do so much if people could only set foot on our door. And so that's part of the reason why, as part of their strategy, they're working around um, getting, uh, getting uh, acknowledge, acknowledging that institutional racism exists and also to make sure that uh, they sen sen sensitize the, the staff and work on issues of, of implicit bias and uh, more explicitly that they get their senior leadership and all of their staff to talk about institutional racism and the impact that that has had not only within Vidant but also within their communities. And finally, uh, the last pillar around developing partnerships with community organizations, I think that uh, the, the, the work that Vitan Health is doing in partnering with and leveraging community assets to improve health and healthcare has, has modeled how to do this work for some other organizations. Uh, Vidant is, is one of the few organizations that uh, at IHI we always say that you need to have people with lived experience in your teams 
and community members represented, and Biden has done that. And, and the fact that Jay has been joining all of our workshops and has been it has been a key part of, of their work. I think that really highlights highlights their commitment to working along with uh, community organizations to achieve health equity. So we look forward to continuing to learn from, from Vidant and from the other uh, participating organizations. And going into year two, we'll be harvesting best practices from, from all of the participating organizations uh, around the role of healthcare in addressing equity. And, and we hope to continue to learn with them and from them and with the idea of developing a toolkit that we can then share with other organizations interested in joining the movement that is starting. Great things to come and great things happening right now. Thank you, Jafet. Really appreciate it. Well, I have to say, uh, Jermaine, Jay, we're, we're kind of stuck on your slide with your uh, elegant photograph uh, as uh, we try to get something unfrozen here. But, hey, it could be a lot worse So uh, than, than looking at you for most of the show. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's a perfect moment here, and I hope uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll get that straightened out. But... Uh, uh, I want to uh, acknowledge everybody who's made remarks so far, and we're going to now pivot uh, to Q&A and discussion, and we have a few questions and comments in here, uh, but please, uh, folks, step up, uh, tell us uh, if you've got work going on uh, that you think is somewhat analogous to what you're hearing about, if you're working on the workforce, what kinds of things you'd like to know about, about stepping into that arena. Um, I thought, Julie, I would uh, swing back to you to tell us a little bit about what the work on implicit bias and or institutional racism, what that looks like. Uh, I think many, many systems want to make this commitment, and I think it's sometimes a lot harder to figure out what's the manifestation of that. Uh, wh what does it look like? Uh, maybe even especially implicit bias, which requires, I think, some real discussion. Thanks. Yeah. So um, we are very intentional in how we address this work. Um, we very early on decided that we were going to address uh, structural institutional racism, bias, microaggressions from a place of unity, inclusion, and love. And we have been very aligned and intentional in how we've addressed that work. So we started with making a video of the beautiful diversity that we have in Eastern North Carolina, the different languages, the different looks, the different genders, the different ages, the different sexual preferences, and just putting it out in the front of our town halls and just showing people what we look like all together and without roles on it and without um, names of where you work. And we just kind of threw that out there. And then we just started talking about it. Um, and that generated a lot of people that were very interested in working on equity and inclusion. And it kind of <laughs> started this really interesting, excited conversation. Um, at, at the same time, we began addressing um, issues that we that were being brought forth to leadership about um, racism and bias. We began addressing those consistently and um, with compassion, but consistent that they would not exist um, uh, in, in our family at Vidant. And then we brought uh, 
unintended bias training to our board, our HR leaders, and our most executive leaders, and really took a long, hard look at what is the definition of um, implicit bias? What is it? What's racism? What are microaggressions? You know, what what is this work? And we brought it forth, not in a not to create diversity, but to bring us together and say, this sometimes happens to our team. This can't be. And um, the reaction from our board was absolutely fantastic. You know, they were, and then I will, I will have to quote our, our um, CEO, Dr. Mike Waldrum, who's fantastic to work with. And the, the board and the presidents and the HR leaders were like, this is, this, we can't, we, we can't allow this to continue. Vident has to be an inclusive, unified, safe space. And what are we going to do about it? And, um, Dr. Mike Waldrum said, you know, we're having a acute reaction to a chronic problem, acknowledging that this is something that has lived in our walls and in everyone's walls, probably, and that we were now shedding light on it, but shedding light on it from a place of we want our team members to have the most inclusive place where they can be safe in this world right now. They can do their best work. They can grow. They can learn and they'll benefit Vident because of it. And we are now working on, um, uh, implicit bias training for the whole organization. Again, with the intention of inclusion, um, working on how we dev- define all of those terms so that all those terms can be defined in our policies and our procedures and that we have specific ways that we deal with um, what we would call lateral aggression, which includes um, microaggression, which includes uh, bias. And then yesterday we did a call out, and I know this sounds like it's not it's not, it's not much, but we did a call out to do a, a video on diversity. And some of you might have seen these videos where you ask people questions and it, it brings to light, um, some, some differences that create diversity, but you can come together, um, in, through our mission and, and be more together than we're alike. And I didn't really know if people would show up to this video. Like we did a call out and I thought it's going to be me and three other people. Well, Team members came from everywhere, and they're like, we're going to do this video. And we just did this beautiful video on our diversity. And I think the way we've approached it has been joyful and full of love and inclusion. And I know that when I bring this up and people say, oh, my gosh, how are you addressing that? Isn't it uncomfortable? It hasn't been. And we're in eastern North Carolina. What we have found is that people feel free to now say that it exists but not in a blaming malicious way, but in a, hey, let's fix this together way. And so we have a lot of people very interested in the work, and we're continuing to bring a lot of awareness um, to the work, but also work really hard on the fact that our diversity makes us a force to be reckoned with. Thank you very much. Jay, um, what would you say, how has Biden been perceived uh, in the community, and is that changing? Uh, and would you say some people didn't bother applying uh, for jobs there before that maybe are right now? There's a question in the chat uh, from somebody asking about folks with police records. In this case, this person was asking about indigenous uh, peoples and, and a particular family advisor role. But let's kind of expand that idea of, you know, any kind of, um, you know, conviction history. Um, and that is a barrier. But maybe just generally, 
How is the community uh, changed, or if it has changed, its perception of Biden? Well, that's, that's, that is a great question. And at first, I, I'll start in the same place and saying that this this obviously is not just unique to Biden, mm-hmm. but as a major institution, our cities are comprised of large institutions all over. And the degree to which they work well and how well they function, or better yet, how well they, wherever the lack may go in that function, that's normally going to impact our struggling communities more than other communities. So they're going to feel the effects of any systematic breakdowns all throughout the community. So the hurt and the, and the feelings of resentment and his, with the historical context are always going to be deep-rooted. Um, but what happens is there's also years of institutions coming in and, you know, doing the normal photo ops, picking a few people to to stand beside and not really standing with the community as a whole, that that history also rings true in the mindset of our communities. So the one thing that I was very adamant about asking as soon as Julie and I began to first talk, and she tells this story all over, is that, um, <laughs> you know, I was, I was very much uh, forthcoming in asking that whatever it is your contribution is, as large as you are, as the largest institution in our area, obviously it will be greatly appreciated. But if your presence, if we can't have your presence involved in our daily lives to some degree, then I would prefer let's not engage in this walk at all if it's not going to be that that deep-rooted, you know, presence. And her eyes lit up, and, and I knew we had an agreement right then. So outside of the technical and numerical measures of what it is that we do together, I'm thankful that I've been able to create, open up my platform through my work and create a space for Vidant to be a part of the daily life. And the process of approaching health equity and equity in general, just be a part of the life. So we, we do small-scale festivals and outdoor uh, pop-up markets and things throughout the, the warmer months. And Vidant employees, not just the leadership, but the, the employees have found that they love to be in the community engaging with people on a one-on-one basis. So that level of involvement, again, what it does is it first creates the opportunity for feelings to be expressed, negative or positive, because when you don't have a relationship, you don't get complaints at all. So sometimes when you first begin to build the relationships and you open up that platform, you get an opportunity to hear some of the deeper feelings that community members have had. But what I think I've found that has changed the most is, along with the, the news about the raising of the wage permeating through the community, and then the news about Vidant's presence, and then along with NC Sybil's presence, the way they've worked beside us wholeheartedly gives us the ability to celebrate their presence, because otherwise we would not. So that, that, that thing about presence to culture means so much, and it's changed the mindsets that we have people that are, that are excited, knocking on my door, asking about, yep. hey, hey, what's up with those Vidant jobs, man? And they don't ask yep. in a technical term, hey, what, what's up with Vidant? When, when can I get hired there? And people who didn't think they had a chance, now they understand that they have a chance. And not only a chance, but understand that this is not just, you know, $758 an hour pay. You're coming in at, at what, we call a, what we call a living wage as opposed to just poverty wage. 
rate wage. So those are things that are really resonating with the community. And obviously, there's more work to do. But now the work's not only being done by us, and the word of mouth is not only being passed along by us, it's being passed along by others who've come in contact with it. And we've got some great success stories that we've already been able to experience ourselves as helping us all grow. Fabulous. Thank you very much, uh, Jay, and of course, Julie as well. I'm going to turn to Amber Watson, uh, who's uh, very deeply involved in this initiative and uh, is familiar, uh, as I think Jafet and Megan are as well, with a lot of the stories. And I'm curious, uh, everyone in the initiative is working on a lot of different things. And I'm wondering, what, what, what do you think uh, Biden's uh, path? Uh, how is that affecting others, if you can say, uh, just just in a kind of general way, what that may be doing in terms of kind of challenging everyone? Uh, really, because we're talking very much outside the clinic walls, uh, for sure, uh, hopefully, which will impact, for sure, things that happen within the clinic walls. Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess this goes back to Megan's earlier point about the pillars not being sequenced um, and that kind of each one of our teams has a unique stance into how they're um, getting into this work and diving deeper. And for some teams, it is going through their quality teams um, and connecting with the clinical work there. And for some like Biden, it's going through workforce development and HR. And I think them bringing that that standpoint that goes kind of outside of what you would usually think of um, in the health equity work really helps um, bring a different perspective to the Pursuing Equity Initiative and the community that we've created with these eight healthcare systems. Okay. I'm curious, Julie, thanks, uh, Amber. Do you feel that there is something uh, about the, I don't know, there's a certain coherence about being a, a major health system in a region uh, of the country uh, largest health system, largest employer that some uh, might say, well, look, you all these connections are clear here. They're not as clear where we are. Some health systems may not feel that connection to the community or it's not to just one community, to many communities. Have you had opportunities to talk with people about that? Uh, because I imagine, I'm not sure it's always so simple for the health system to feel the the really large level of responsibility that you do. Um, do you mean connecting the work across the system? Well, I mean looking at your community. I mean, both you and Jay are talking about, you know, the presence there. Uh, Biden's uh, clearly, you know, a force in the community at large. And I think in a lot of places, there are many health systems. Uh, you know, it may be harder for some to sort of decide, well, whose responsibility is this uh, to do things quite differently uh, in healthcare yeah. or to impact, yeah. impact at the uh, workforce level? So we did this, and, you know, and Jay um, is very aligned um, in thinking with with um, the leadership of Biden, but we really came at it from a relationship standpoint, not who owns the space or who's going to do the work, but let's get out in the communities, and we have several. I mean, we, we cover 29 counties, and some of our counties are very, very rural with and need Biden um, to be vibrant and and thrive so that they can um, have services and that they can thrive. And we didn't we didn't have expectations other than to learn and to create relationships which would let a certain amount of trust drive our next steps. 
this is always interesting when you talk about that because people would like to put the work sometimes on a, you know, on a, a grid and say, okay, check, check, we did this check. But we just leadership and people involved, we just started going out in the communities, talking to people, inviting people to lunch, going out to meet some of these wonderful grassroots community leaders and just saying, tell us what we don't know. Help us out. I mean, we we need your help. We want to know what the community wants. And that's where the magic really happened. Um, It changed us. It, it changed Vident because I think sometimes a big organization like us, we think we know and we're putting resources to things. And then you get out and you find out that mm, that wasn't what the community wanted. The community wanted a pipeline for better jobs. The community wanted um, help with recruiting high school students that were getting in trouble to be, have technical jobs in healthcare. The community wanted more interpreter services that was um, at their fingertips, you know. And so we just started going out and learning. And when you have relationships with your community where they can come into your meetings and they help you, that's when work gets done, real work. And so that that philosophy philosophically changed us and it and it changed our response to just about everything and now um, and we're big i mean we're a big health system not as big as other people that are probably on the phone but if there is a person that needs to be hand walked because they have a felony and they need to be hand walked through our system because they need a chance we have a we have a number and a place that you can call and that person will be hand walked. Um, we just have developed a really close relational way that we do our work. Well, that's a very yeah. powerful image. Uh, Jay, you want to say something? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, just would like to add, um, going back to your original question about how other, you know, healthcare systems may <laughs> want to have to think about how they're going to make those connections or whether those connections are going to be as easily made. The one thing that I've that I've been able to learn a great deal about through this work is that um the same way that healthcare system design has come a long way, the same way as, as urban planning and, and, and urban design has come a long way. Partnership design it, partnership is something that requires design of its own, and that has to grow. So many, many times I'm seeing where we have to move past just the, the, the one check off of finding one or two or three partners and letting that partnership just yeah. move on its own. We have to be able to think about what it means when you put a, a large, powerful entity in a room with maybe three or four other entities who are not so large, and maybe, and although the, the, the idea of power vacuums may not be anyone's intention. If we design those partnerships unintentionally, power vacuums end up happening and work becomes a little harder to do to actually reach the people. So having the opportunity for me to work with Vidant and to build design models in the community that would allow Vidant to still come and play a role without being a power vacuum that took, you know, some some lessons in learning and redesigning and, and that type of design, the same way that IHI forms a relationship of eight 
you know, national hospitals sharing information. That partnership design from a community standpoint is, is a piece of information that has to be shared. Uh, you, when other entities go to work with community partners, there should be some, some helpful conversation. There are some helpful conversations that can be had about best ways to design those so that these, these inevitable things don't happen that have happened for years and years and years, mm-hmm. you know, up to date. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Jay, it sounds like uh, I want to underscore uh, what both of you are saying, and um, I, I hear another WIHI topic uh, in there, and I um, am sure that the Pursuing Equity team is thinking about a lot of these issues, too, as they imagine the kinds of tools and resources they want to develop, and I am acknowledging there is a question in the chat. Uh, we're kind of, you know, at a certain moment, I think, of talking about this work, but there is a question uh, about sustainability uh, and how some of these things that are being done right now really become the norm and the kind of normal way of doing things as opposed to uh, special. So I don't know if we can address that today, but um, we're certainly going to keep talking about that. And one of the places that we uh, often bring forward a huge amount of what's going on with equity across the country and health equity is at the National Forum. And I wanted, listen, it's never too early to talk about December, especially if you're not having a spring, for real, as here in Boston. <laughs> Hope it's better in North Carolina. So uh, why not talk about December in Orlando, John? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to. I'm happy to. You know, today was obviously, it's a great opportunity to hear from Jay and Julie, who are folks who are really uh, focused on the work of achieving uh, health equity. Um, but another great opportunity uh, to, to, to do that is at the National Forum, and especially at the equity track. Um, the equity track, it, it offers sessions on improving access, quality, and health outcomes with communities that have historically and systemically been marginalized. Uh, and these sessions will help you and your colleagues understand and address institutional racism in healthcare and provide you with the tools to close gaps in health, uh, health equity uh, at your organization. Um, like Madge said, the, the forum is in Orlando, in, in Florida, in December. Um, and uh, for more information on how to enroll and for uh, early bird enrollment discounts. Uh, for more information about those, visit IHI.org slash forum. All right. Thanks a lot, John. Okay. Uh, well, we still got Ver, uh, Jermaine, Jay, looking at us, and we're looking at him. And I want to tell you, uh, if uh, all the slides, uh, Vicki was reminding us, uh, we'll, uh, you can find them on the chat, and they'll also all land on our website by tomorrow morning. And you're also prompted when you get off the program today if you want to collect any of these resources right away. So I think what we're going to do is wrap up. Uh, this is an ongoing story, <laughs> a body of work. Uh, folks are at the kind of halfway mark, at least of this two-year initiative, and a lot to come. And uh, just just go around the horn, uh, excuse me, horn, quickly, Megan, Jafet, uh, let's hear from Amber, too, and then uh, Jay and Julie. Megan, some parting thoughts and ideas, anything, uh, anything people could look forward to if they wanted even to learn more or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Madge. Um, I would just encourage um, everyone to download the white paper we mentioned. Um, and also, while we do have one more year, have one more year left of this initiative, if you would like to be in touch with us to hear about what's going on throughout this next year, please feel free to email myself. Um, and we will hopefully be launching a virtual expedition on health equity later this year. So be on the lookout for that. Fabulous. Thanks a lot, Megan, uh, for being part of the program. Jeffette, some thoughts uh, as we wrap up? Yeah. 
Sure. Just to add to that, as, as part of the Achieving Health Equity white paper, there is also a health equity assessment. So I will invite organizations interested in joining this work to complete that assessment to get a better understanding of where you are and where the gaps are. And also to stay tuned as we uh, launch some new tools that you could use uh, to to assist your efforts in, um, in pursuing health and health equity. Thanks a lot, Jafet. I really appreciate your being part of uh, planning. Amber, uh, to my left here, a huge uh, asset to getting this whole thing off the ground, including the date and the people and everything. Uh, Amber, kind of uh, what, what, what sort of p- parting thoughts might you have? Uh, anything that uh, folks might also be on the lookout? Thanks, Madge. I think we're we're just going into year two, and I think we're continuously learning. We're going to have um, a lot more to share at the end um, and throughout the next six to 12 months. So I would just say keep a lookout on our um, webpage, iotide.org slash pursuing equity, and as well as the equity topic page for things that are going to be shared there. Okay. Thanks a lot, Amber. So Jay, you're, you're in there. You're, uh, <laughs> I don't, I, I think people are going to have this image of you. Um, they're going to, they're going to put it up <laughs> in their offices. So Jay, you know, I, I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, things happen for a reason, don't they? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Jay, it's been a pleasure to have you be part of uh, this virtual discussion today. More people will hear your thoughts and Julie's thoughts and the team here when they catch this as a podcast. But any parting thoughts uh, from you today? Well, yeah. I mean, just, just the idea of community. It's a big, it's a very, very big word for me. And I, and one of the things I always say is that I'm not really too concerned about what it is that we build. We can be baking cakes. We can be building t-shirts, whatever it is. But if we build it together, we become a stronger community. So I'm very appreciative of the time that we've been able to spend building on this work with IHI and, and very, uh, very much thankful for the work that, that NC Civil has been able to do with Vidant to help make all all of us more a part of our community and the lessons and growth are they are the outcomes and um so thanks to everyone thank you jay thanks jermaine and mcnair so much for being part of this and for all your good work julie you get the last word wow yeah (laughs) anything Um, you feel like sharing yeah I would just say to all the healthcare organizations out there, don't be afraid of the work. Um, I'd say thanks to IHI for giving us such a great um, cohort and a venue to explore the work and the pillars that give us some structure and let us innovate. But really, don't be afraid of the work. Your outcomes are tied. Your pop health is tied. Your workforce um, is tied to this work. Um, it, this is the work of lead of our time to do, and in this world and what's going on in the nation, being a safe place um, for your team members and your physicians and your patients is some of the most glorious work you'll ever do. And I think we were afraid when we started, and now it's become a source of pride in some of the most joyful work that all of our leaders have ever done. It is just by stepping into this space and saying we were going to make a difference, we have transformed ourselves. Wow. Okay. 
Thank you so much, Julie Alert, and thanks for all the hard work at Biden and so much appreciate learning from you and hope to continue to do so. All right. Well, thank you, audience. Thank you, panel. Uh, next up on WIHI on May 10th. Uh, uh, probably a, a facet of even what we've been talking about today. We're going to find out about some work going on here uh, at IHI, our Psychology of Change framework. Uh, Mike Britton's going to be along to host uh, while I take a little mini vacation with Kate Hilton, Alex Anderson, and Michael Rose. Uh, so that's on May 10th, and uh, be sure to uh, look out for the information for that. And I want to remind everybody, you can download the slides, you can download the chat, when you get off today and you can look for all the material on our website tomorrow and you can also find it on iTunes and you can subscribe to iTunes and thereby uh, these things will just automatically download. Any questions whatsoever, if I talk too fast, info at IHI.org. Uh, they'll be happy to answer your questions. Great group helped make WIHI possible. That includes John Gothier, Matt Morse, Vicki Minden, Joanna Carmona, Val Weber. And I want to say a special thanks to Amy Reed, Amber Watson, and the entire Pursuing Equity team for all their help with this program today. And it's my privilege to host this program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care, most of all, including equity for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. Have a good day, everyone.